classic books about entrepreneurship uh, by Michael Lewis called The New New Thing, uh, A Silicon Valley Story. It was published in 1999. It was one of the first books I ever read regarding entrepreneurship and technology. There's a passage in there where Jim Clark, who is famous for having founded and co-founded Silicon Graphics and Netscape, is asked a question by an engineer. The engineer asks him, Jim, how do you make a billion dollars? And apparently Jim's response was famously, you change the world. Now you'd be surprised if I told you that not every entrepreneur I've met has that ping the universe kind of mentality. But in my experience, when you run into one, you know. And so with that introduction and pleasure, I introduce you to Ian Knott, a gentleman I've had the pleasure of knowing for almost a decade now. Since he was an industrial arts student, industrial design student uh, here in Georgia, who is now CEO and co-founder of Atho, uh, who is the designer and maker of the augmented reality platform Beam. So, Ian, welcome, and it's great to see you again, man. <clears throat> Likewise, Jose. Uh, it's been a long time, and thank you for the wonderful introduction. Very well, eloquent. Hopefully, I got it right. Now, I paralleled you with one of the icons of the tech world, Jim Clark. So I, I figured I'd try to put you in good, in good company. But I, I, do think Definitely. I do think it's, you know, apropos, because, you know, when we first met, we were just starting to think about what Atho became. And like we were saying, you know, a couple of days ago when we spoke, you know, my world reading was a little different when I first met you. Uh, and I'm curious, you know, did you always feel like, you know, like Jim Clark, like Steve Jobs, um, that you were destined to become an entrepreneur? Or is this something that sort of came about later in life? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, from a very early age, I was uh, exposed to, you know, sort of this broad spectrum of disciplines through my parents, my dad being in publishing, my mom also as well early on, but um, moving into architecture for many decades. And uh, so having this, this, uh, technology, creative design, um, sort of self-employed mindset. Uh, those are sort of pillars early on. And for me, you know, it's kind of cliche when we talk about this in the, in the previous call, Jose, is, you know, you mentioned Steve Jobs and certainly growing up in the um, <clears throat> sort of late 90s uh, era where things were moving so quickly and Steve was bringing Apple back from the brink. Uh, you know, it was uh, a lot of those early posted stamps videos on the internet of, uh, you know, the iMac introduction, right? And so on and so forth that I kind of really latched on to the idea that you can take a complex set of technologies and productize it and showcase it to the public in a way that captivates people. And, you know, even back then, as, as rough as Apple looked, um, you know, we all know where that uh, story is wound up. So, you know, again, it's maybe not entrepreneur in the word specifically early on, but certainly uh, those characteristics and those traits um, were things that I definitely uh, knew um, to be core to, to who I am. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I didn't do it on purpose to tie, you know, Jim Clark and Steve Jobs story per se, but there is a through line there uh, that I maybe 
maybe only a few other people and probably that know you know and that is they had a total of a nontraditional route to formal education you know they stopped they started companies in the middle of their education and came back to it it's something i think you did and i don't know do you think that we talked about this earlier like the formal training and discipline are critical to technology startups and companies or is it just the vision and ability to drive you know innovation is more transcendent than you know finishing your your education in a traditional sort of timetable like most people do yeah i think it's different for everybody um you know certain people may respond better to uh structured learning environments certain people may respond to um sort of being uh, offered a potential reward and going out on their own their own autonomy and sort of discovering how to get there uh, along the way um so you know no it's not one size fits all when we got our uh initial round of funding you know i was 5 years into the program right uh and by that point it evolved from industrial design into service design uh ux design and even going back almost a decade now it was very clear that sort of the future of products weren't just a physical item it was the services the app the uh, entire ecosystem um and now the financial products and all the rest of today right that really make what a, a company's offering is and so um you know it was 5 years into that program that we raised our round of funding and uh i uh, effectively um dropped out uh and i will tell you an interesting story in that i had a really great professor and whoever that might have been um that <laughs> took me aside uh shortly after we raised that round of funding it was during a class project and i was just so stressed out from trying to manage all of this and took me aside and basically told me to just drop my drop out and i left and i never went back um so you know i think again the circumstances that we had raising around of funding taking all of this amazing uh education and and um processes and insights and and just brilliant expertise that came out of the school design and all these different disciplines and converting that along with literally some of the best folks i worked with through those programs over the years into early employees and then on to you know raising funding and getting a a, a actual product built and shipped at scale small scale but at scale right. um you know that's that's something to be uh, really proud of so that doesn't necessarily equate to a paper dis, uh, diploma um but you know it, it i think the the reward and satisfaction having gone through something like that uh you know is worth many lifetimes talk us through that transition from becoming you know starting as a hardware company to where you are now and some of the some of the key learnings and really like take me into the room like how did you guys make that decision because i don't think people have ever in their lives had to make decisions like that because that's not a pivot man that's transformational so i'll give you a story that uh, i don't think you've may have heard uh so you know we had shipped many many of these units and i'm glossing over quite a lot of of you know big office space 14 some people working uh full time around the clock uh huge warehouse facility right even though it's a small operation it's a fair amount of infrastructure uh to support that level of uh delivery and execution 
And so, you know, one of the big difficult points back to your, your question with like a time and place, uh, we had uh, Hurricane Matthew hit, you know, mandatory evacuation. And uh, everybody did leave uh, at that point. And by this point, you know, things were pretty difficult in terms of uh, not being able to raise the necessary capital to continue these large purchases of uh, physical inventory, uh, components, parts, et cetera. Um, so <clears throat> by this point, everybody had left and uh, I faithfully stayed behind, you know, captain goes down with the ship. Uh, and, you know, I sat there by myself on the line trying to, uh, you know, continue the production process. Uh, but without, you know, many other hands on the, the line and actual power, let alone internet to, uh, you know, do the registration and <laughs> all the various things we had to do along the way to uh, a box product. Um, you know, it was, it was a futile effort and what would come next. And so in parallel to everything I've just described leading up to this for some time, we had been exploring sort of the future of, um, capture, right. And sort of what's to come next. And it was obvious even back then that, uh, sort of augmented reality or volumetric, you know, these things would be sort of the next, uh, step beyond 2d. And we were researching and looking at using early virtual reality systems, uh, different ways that you might capture content and then ultimately consume it. Uh, and that led us to some interesting sparks internally where uh, we were essentially developing sort of a rudimentary telepresence system in uh, virtual and mixed reality. And, uh, you know, again, we sort of had these parallel paths converging post hurricane, post, you know, many other factors at play, uh, where we really looked at how can we maintain ourselves as a company and take what we've built internally and what we've explored internally and invested value into and convert that into something that we can sustain, not even just short term, but, you know, medium and long term in a more realistic fashion, having gone through the absolute bloodbath and gauntlet that is hardware that again, you know, I think not many have that that experience uh, when it comes to startups in general. Uh, a lot of it is, you know, software based. So I think, you know, our, our experience and background in uh, hardware has really given us the um, nuance and the respect of the iteration, iterative process uh, that is sort of the product uh, journey and the, the market discovery um, and applying that to, uh, you know, the landscape of software, which is obviously a lot more agile, but, you know, it gives us a little bit more of a critical nature and a thoughtful approach of what we're going to be building and the timeline we're building it on and, and how we plan to get there. But it sounds like you were getting ready to, put, to ship some of these gimbals to customers when you made this pivot. So, uh, or, or ship. We had been shipping, yeah. Yeah, you had been shipping. So how did you deal with, yeah. with that? Like, how does, I'm not, I'm not a hardware guy, I'm a software guy. How, how do you, what do you guys go through to deal with that? <laughs> a lot of pain. <laughs> Unbelievable amounts of pain. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's one thing to maybe have an office with some computers and you have a startup in it, but, you know, when your office is a, a pretty well-outfitted uh, hardware R&D slash product manufacturing facility, uh, the amount of... Um, 
equipment, inventory, uh, tools, supplies, parts, etc. You know, for what very quickly goes from a large team to um, a very small team, uh, very very fast. Uh, that's kind of a, a big, you know, pill to swallow, right? What do you what do you do with all this stuff? How is this how is this going to translate? Um, so you know, we had to make a lot of difficult decisions, whether it comes to losing people. Uh, you know, some really amazing people that I've had such fortune to work with in the past <clears throat> or losing, you know, vast amounts of infrastructure, you know, all of that man hours and insight and tribal knowledge, if you will, uh, that goes to uh, creating and engineering and producing something of that scale and that magnitude. Um, so, you know, the physical loss of tangible uh, items and sort of, uh, you know, this rich, tapestry, if you will, of, of an ecosystem we had built internally, you know, that's that's a tough thing, right? Um, so, you know, make no mistake, those are some very hard choices that uh, in a, somebody in their mid-20s, right, uh, is having to firsthand uh, manage and delegate. It, it can be tough. If I told you 10 years ago, Ian, it's going to take you this long and this much money, this many resources to... to uh, to get to where you are today, it's a two-part question. One, I know the answer to this. Would you do it all over again? And if so, you know, how do you explain that to the people like on the outside going, what? You just, really? You could do that all over again? Like, I don't think non-entrepreneurs would understand that your answer to that question is probably yes, right? Yes. My answer is a yes. And, uh, you know, I'll answer this maybe in two or, or three parts. Depends how I... I go, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, we're very lucky to have made it this far and I'm even luckier to have gotten a start when I did. And the, uh, notion that, you know, there's regrets or that, I would change it, right? Um, it's just uh, the wrong mental territory to even approach in the first place because the value and the uh, richness of having gone through that set of experiences um, massively accelerates and informs you to try to build the, the next <laughs> greatest thing. Um, you know, it's, it's invaluable lessons that, uh, you glean from this and uh, it's like, you know, you're a gladiator going into battle and <clears throat> you're getting, uh, uh, doing a lot of training and you're getting a lot of bruises and a lot of cuts and, you know, you're, you're building up your muscle strength and it's, it's this process that you're undergoing that, um, you know, is hopefully setting you up for something even greater. And so, uh, yes, to, to answer your question is. Of course, I'd do it over again. Now, do I think that uh, I could go back and explain uh, even 80% of what has happened even in the last couple of years? Forget us, but, you know, globally, right, to, to myself almost 10 years ago. You know, a lot of this would have sound like science fiction, right? And so uh, not only just what we're doing, but sort of the global landscape in which we're doing it against. And, uh, you know, I, I think I would be more shocked by uh everything that's happened over the years uh and that we have been able to navigate within that 
than anything at all, <laughs> to put it simply. I think COVID, this economy, uh, has put everyone in the world through a reflective phase to see, make them think about how they spend their time uh, on this earth, you know, whether it's at work or things that they don't enjoy doing outside of work. And I think, in my opinion, the quiet quitting and the great resignation is um, endemic to people being more thoughtful about how they spend their time. Um, do you think that this is going to impact entrepreneurship in some way where people perhaps pursue personal passions they've cabled uh, from a work perspective? Or do you think the uncertainty in the economy that all these things have caused are going to make people probably maybe more conservative and less apt to go jump into, well, let's be honest, a really risky endeavor of starting your own company? Like, have you, you guys sat around and thought through that? Because it's something that I, I think through as an entrepreneur and as uh, having been employed in this economy, um, it's hard not to think, you know, wouldn't I rather just be doing my own thing? I think the biggest problem today is we're uh, kind of moving away from uh, sort of physical spaces and everything being digital first, right? And so when you talk about sort of startups maybe 10 years ago, I think the idea of, you know, having the cool office, and the uh, people all sitting around and, you know, all the whiteboards and all the stuff, right? Um, that almost seems antiquated now, looking back on it. And, uh, you know, I think when you look at sort of folks today, um, Gen Z or under, the sort of um, barrier of entry, if you will, to, let's say, being in a startup or creating something on your own, whatever you want to call a startup, um, creating a movement, creating a meme, creating a, an idea, a, an artist, uh, et cetera. You know, those, those barriers of entry have been so largely removed where sort of anybody can create, um, anybody can build a following, anybody can sort of monetize that. But, you know, I think the idea of a traditional startup is, is rapidly changing. Um, now, does... Do we live in a, a time and place where people are sort of fed up with uh, traditional jobs? I, I think so, to some degree, especially post-COVID, uh, where you sort of had almost this um, sort of uh, zombie walk of everybody driving nine to five, uh, going going to work every day, you know, Monday through Friday, and it's all very, you know, suit and tie and orderly. And, you know, I, you can look no further than traffic patterns, even all the way up to current day. Uh, where things have not rebounded. And, uh, you know, I think people have largely um, discovered that they don't need to um, be as uh, uh, hyper-present in a physical office um, in order to succeed in life, whether that's monetarily or in their career or otherwise. Um, you know, obviously there's, there's a good ratio that still um, needs that, that in-person experience. But, you know, I think, again, we're going to deal with more and more of a transition as we're in this odd period of time, as, as monolithic as the world seems today, where we're still doing all this remote work through 2D screens. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're still in this, like, era of um, getting on Zoom calls and sending emails. And, and the future that's coming, just even a short five or ten years, as you move to a spatial first world. I think the notions of 
sort of what is a, a entertainment space or an office space, a community space, uh, and then sort of the notion of what is a, a distributed company look like today, maybe Slack and Zoom and Teams, right? Um, but as you move into a world coming, uh, your distributed team, you may have a great company doing amazing work face-to-face -face every day, but you are physically located all over the world. And, um, you know, I think the opportunities, whether it's for individuals to create uh, companies made up of individuals, create products, bring them to market, uh, today that can be done, you know, to the fact we have great high quality internet access through a broad amount of the world uh, and things like Zoom, but they're going to be such primitive, like, you know, sticks and stones compared to what's coming and how we'll be able to facilitate uh, a far more nuanced collaborative experience, a more human experience uh, that can lead to faster outcomes and, and, and better uh, insights, better collaboration, better discovery as a team. The stuff that is coming when, it, when you look at spatial computing, flexible robotics, uh, AI systems taking over a lot of uh, white collar jobs and service robotics taking over a lot of blue collar jobs. Yeah, you're going to just continue to see such uh, a massive compounding uh, of uh, social upheaval uh, as what we knew as a job or uh, a career or an identity from the 20th or 21st century is just being totally turned on its head. Everyone here, if you're sentient being on Earth, has heard about the metaverse. You've heard about augmented and virtual reality and XR. Um, your kids may have Oculuses, right? Uh, but at the same time, we've heard about, you know, crypto and NFTs and we all saw what happened with that. It wasn't as real as we had hoped it would become. Um, talk me through, and it doesn't have to be so much, you know, Atho and Beam, but when is this going to, in your opinion, you know, cross the chasm outside of sort of the, the high tech world into middle America, middle whatever country, right? And make it real for, for the masses. You know, what we're really doing on a, on a tiny level is just trying to be good stewards of what's to come uh, for the public. Uh, that may be businesses today, but you know, it's the broader consumer tomorrow. While it's hard to say, you know, five or 10 years are gonna hit this mark, um, it's, it's inevitable. And there's so much sustaining it and investing and subsidizing and emphasizing it that comes from much broader spectrum issues around uh, society globally as it stands uh, that are pushing us. So, you know, we're really just like a small dot, you know, riding the coattails of this uh, immovable uh, force that's well on its way. Um, and certainly if you look at the way that we all have a smartphone today and many of our family and friends are glued into their Instagram and TikTok feeds, uh, I would say, you know, the, the uh, proof of concept is already uh, out in the world all day, every day. And, you know, this uh, is just another uh, step from that. I'm going to infer from that, and you guys all heard it here first from Ian, not and Atho, that the singularity is not happening this year but it will eventually is that is that a, is that a fair takeaway man
That is correct. Uh, and, you know, hey, uh, in just a year or two, we'll possibly see Apple launch their glasses and try to do the unthinkable to nuke the iPhone uh, product line uh, in order to create a whole new revenue stream as the iPhone did with the iPod. So, you know, just like Meta is being a, a first mover, uh, you know, I think Apple uh, is going to be, a, a sense, an even bigger first mover in the consumer space. Um, so it's, it's uh, I think, coming sooner than we think. I'll end with this because I want to I want to understand you know where you guys are going as a business like what what do we look out for I I, I used Beam a year and a half ago uh, when I was in higher education what's the next iteration like what can we look out for and, and you know how, what are you guys doing in terms of you know industries I think you were verticalizing last night heard is that right We are really excited and we've been working for uh, over the last year now uh, on essentially a whole platform rewrite, uh, which includes uh, video conferencing abilities. So previously you could join from a, a iOS or Android device or an XR headset. Uh, we really found that you know uh, accessibility is very important to organizations in order to gain that initial adoption in this new space of XR. And so now you can actually just join straight from a video call right from our web app uh, and still take part two way within that XR space. Uh, so again, it really casts a broad net uh, in terms of folks that can join in. Uh, and the other big thing that we've been uh, working very, very diligently on is uh, our avatar system. Uh, so we're continuing uh, to push further and further in terms of photoreal avatars, where you actually have your avatar look just like you. It's, a, it's based off a selfie of your face. And of course you have full body, uh, uh, presence, uh, as well as full hand tracking, and now uh, full face tracking. So if you guys have seen the new MetaQuest Pro, it has a bunch of cameras that actually face uh, your face and uh, tracks all that data in real time. So it's actually pretty amazing, Jose, and you'll have to get a demo here soon uh, where you can actually hop in, and I'm, I'm right there in front of you, and it's it's like literally me, and I'm joking around, I'm smiling, and it's it's my, it's, it's me. And, and so, you know, the fact that uh, we can send somebody an invite link uh, and just on a, a instant post a metaverse meeting, have some people join on the web and be talking to them uh, lifelike as if, you know, I'm standing in the room, we're going through this awesome content together. Again, it's all about closing that gap so that we can offer the most realistic telepresence experience possible uh, and one that helps unlock that human value you get when you're usually with people in the same space. And I started this this episode talking about what uh, a visionary, what a entrepreneur looks like and sounds like that wants to ping the universe. Well, you just heard him talk for the last half hour. That's Ian Not Ian, it's good seeing you again, my friend, and I look forward to talking to you again. Likewise, very generous interview. Thank you so much, Jose.